Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Weird. I am Dan. And I am his co-pilot, Riley. And sitting somewhere in uh, cyberspace between us is our uh, intelligent, witty, and quick-fingered producer, Bonnie. Hey, I'm here. I took touch typing in high school, so yes, I do type very quickly. I'm always... Uh, completely blown away, Bonnie, at how quickly you, either you are just, you know everything, or you are extremely fast with your keyboard. It's a little bit of both. It is absolutely a bit of both. Thank you. Which is nice, because you you offer me a nice sort of balance, where Riley is very slow, you're very fast. You're sharp, he's dull. I'm just as dull as a butter knife. That's me. I'm just, yeah. But that's okay. I'm happy in my own way. Riley, this is the sixth episode of The Weird. Each week we uh, take turns telling different stories, presenting facts and information that we think is interesting and uh, you know, unexplainable, something that people might want to listen to. This week, I have just such a story. Does that make sense the way I said that? That sounded a little weird. Just such a story? That's like an old timey thing. You were talking like a preacher from like yeah. the, the you were going and each week we bring you a story. <laughs> uh, I, I could just see all these ladies in hats fanning themselves in church. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Let me tell you when you come to our podcast, oh, Lord, you are going to feel the trembles coming down your spine. All right. Uh, so we have something uh, very fun, I think, today to talk about. Uh, it's a bit of a, a course change from last week's episode, uh, which left me feeling, um, you know, dark and disturbed for, for quite some time afterward. Uh, I actually had to uh, put myself in the basement after uh, you talking about the uh, that asylum, the Halahan, Halahan, Trans Allegheny. That's it. Are they? Is that asylum? Is that where the Trans Siberian Orchestra is from? Uh, I always download the Christmas albums, and they're too weird. And I'm always like, why did I download that? I saw them in concert. Was it all right? Was it weird? It was very weird, and I guess in that way. Good, because it was a different experience. And it was this weird Russian heavy metal Christmas opera. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is actually an American rock band. See, Dan? See? Oh. Interesting that you should say American Bonnie, because this next story takes place in the United States of America. When you said American Bonnie, all that I could think of was, American Bonnie, stay away from me. American Bonnie, come and set me free. It's not American Bonnie, it's American Woman. I know, but it just reminded me of that song. American Bonnie, oh. stay away from me. All right, look, this show is is getting off the tracks, which is ironic because the place that I'm taking you to is in Iowa, in a town called Van Meter, and in Van Meter are rail tracks. Let's hop back on those rail tracks and visit Van Meter, a small town in Dallas County, Iowa, United States, situated along 
the Raccoon River. I love that name. So the whole thing, I think when I was searching for interesting stories to talk about, the name of the town, first of all, stood out. Van Meter is a really odd name for a town. Yeah. Right? It is. Yeah. And and, uh, so this place is a small uh, town. In 2018, the population was 1,181 souls. Uh, In 1903, when our story takes place, it was a very small, sleepy, rural town slash village if you look at pictures and there uh, and we'll, we'll post these to um, our facebook and twitter and just to take a quick aside if you are interested in seeing some of the things that we're talking about we will post them to our facebook page which is the weird and our twitter account which is the weird podcast or podcast the weird i don't know it's one of those two figure it out search but we'll post pictures and you, I'll post some that, that show what this town looks like. It's right out of like to kill a mockingbird. Oh, you expect to see Gregory Peck sort of strolling down the road. It is, um, it's kind of interesting because it's, you know, they say the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Van meter is only one side of the tracks. Okay. It's there's the town built on one side. You've got the river, the train tracks, and then this town, the raccoon river. And it, if you look at the, the buildings in 1903, they very much look kind of like old West uh, style where there was sort of the false facade mm-hmm. uh, on some of them. And, and at, at most are two stories high. So picture small, town in fact i went and looked at uh, google maps and i wanted to see what the town looks like and it's very small the main the main street is actually filled with a lot of homes as opposed to just businesses it's a small small place so this story as i mentioned earlier starts in 1903 an implement dealer ug griffith was on his way to his house in Van Meter on September 29th when he noticed a spotlight on top of a building which he had never seen before. Walking towards the building, the light jumped to another roof Mm. before disappearing into the darkness. Through this exchange uh, and and seeing this thing, uh, he ended up taking out his gun, which... I guess in Van Meter, it's just something you did. You carried a gun. Again, that Old West feeling here is very prevalent. He took out his gun and he shot at the creature, but to no avail. Apparently, the uh, whatever this thing was uh, shrugged off these bullets as if it was a minor nuisance. Telling the story the next day, people were all ears because Griffith had been a respected citizen of Van Meter. This isn't like, you know, the town drunk. This is a, a fairly wealthy man in the prime of his career who by no means has anything to benefit from the telling of the story. I love that he was, you described him as an implement dealer. Is that like a hardware store guy? Yes. Oh, it, it is? Well, I think that it it is probably hardware as, uh, as it's connected probably to, to farms. Ah, right. Agricultural stuff. Yes, yes, yes. That makes perfect sense. It is indeed a farm implement dealer. Yeah, and 
it looks like that town, there was a mine, which is going to get incorporated into our story here very shortly. So there was mining, but also farming okay. in, in the area. So he was probably selling that type of stuff. Well, it's Iowa, right? They got, they got a farm in Iowa. It's Iowa. That's what they do. There we go. Do I get anything for being right? No. Bonnie, $5? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Checks in the mail. Great. Super dupes. So on the 30th of September, the next night, the town's doctor, Dr. Alcott, was asleep in his bed at home when he woke up to a beam of light shining into his face in the early hours of the morning. Running outside with his firearm, thinking there were intruders on his property, Dr. Alcott froze to the spot when he saw in front of him a large humanoid creature with massive wings and a horn on its head. The horn was beaming a stream of bright light into his house. And Dr. Alcott shot. That's what people do in Van Meter. They shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, he shot the creature five times, but apparently once again, the monster or creature, whatever, didn't even move or seem at all bothered by uh, the gunshots. The doctor then ran back inside his house. And when he looked back, the creature had disappeared. No sign of the light, no sign of, um, of anything except for a, a repugnant odor that he described. It had a really, really bad smell. Uh, I just want to ask you a very, I want to ask you a very quick question. You said the light came out of its horn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'll show you again, I'll, I'll share these pictures. Think almost like um, a pterodactyl, but with legs, mm -hmm. but those sort of long, big leathery wings and then a very unique looking face. Okay. It's uh, it's very strange and unlike anything you would sort of. I've never like this is the other thing that's weird about this. I've ne like you hear about aliens, demonic things, or vampires. This is so unique. I've never heard of any other monster story where sort of the the distinguishing feature is a light shining out of its head that's blinded. That's why I asked you about it. I had never heard that either. Yeah. Okay. So on October first. Also in the early hours of the day, bank manager Peter Clarence Dunn walked to the bank where he worked with the uneasy feeling that the recent, uh, and I'm going to quote unquote, monster sightings had actually been robbers trying to distract the townsfolk while planning to rob his place. Makes sense. You know, he's a skeptic, doesn't believe that there's a monster, is assuming probably that it's someone with or a group of people with lanterns or something like that that are trying to create uh, a disturbance in the city that sort of has people distracted. Kind of doesn't make sense, too, because if you were going to rob a bank, why would you make it so that people were up in the middle of the night? But anyway, um, Peter Clarence Dunn uh, decides that, no, no, this might be an attempt to rob the bank. So he decides to lock himself in the building, clutching his shotgun for protection. What a fuck, I gotta say, I gotta say, what a fucking banker name, too. I know. Peter Clarence Dunn. Yeah. Peter Clarence Dunn. It, it, when you're born with a name like that, you have no choice but to be a banker. Uh, so, interesting side note, Peter Clarence Dunn was born with a pocket watch. Like, when he came out of his mother's womb, he, he had a little, a little vest and a pocket watch. I love that. 
So he, he, the uh, poor Peter Clarence Dunn is terrified that his, uh, the money that he's holding in his bank is going to be taken by robbers who have been jumping from building tops to, to telegraph poles or something. Did they have telegraph in 1903? I don't know. Probably. They're part, I love that they're parkouring. There's, they're, they're, they're just parkouring around the town. There were French cat burglars in Van Meter. <laughs> parkouring and uh you know they probably had a few hundred dollars in that bank so anyway he's sitting in his bank he hears a strange noise and then lo and behold a bright light is shone into the bank and dunn can see a figure outside he fired the shotgun at the figure and it fled an interesting twist. He goes outside and he sees in the ground. Again, this is a, a dirt road. It's not, uh, there's not pavement there at that time. Uh, a three-toed print in the ground. He apparently made a cast of that three-toed print, but unfortunately it has now gone missing. Ah. So one of the guys that um, I, uh, I'll talk a little bit more detail because he's, he's really interesting. Chad Lewis, who's a, an author and researcher uh, he's been searching for that cast, and he he suspects perhaps it's in someone's attic, like it's just been forgotten. Apparently, that cast was made. It would be really cool if, it, if they had it, because then they could analyze it a bit better. Absolutely. The following night, O.V. White, who owns the town's hardware store and is apparently a dead eye uh, with, with a gun, he's a sharpshooter, was awakened from his slumber in his room just above his hardware store. He looked out his window and saw the creature uh, perched atop a telephone pole. And he took aim and fired, again, to no avail. Uh, he claims that he hit it for sure, but that it it didn't seem at all uh, bothered by the shot and kind of hopped and, and went somewhere else. When he, fire, when he fired his gun, this awakened Sidney Gregg, who had been sleeping in his store nearby. And again, so now everyone's on edge in the town. Everyone is sleeping in their stores. Uh, people have their guns, you know, at their ready, at their homes. Gregg, Sidney Gregg said he saw the monster hop down the road like a kangaroo. And even uh, a local high school teacher saw it and deemed it, and this is a quote, some sort of antediluvian monster. Antediluvian, of course, Riley, and I knew this right away when I read that word, is a like a bit something from biblical times, you know, an, if an ancient monster, nothing of our of our modern world. I love that word though, and antediluvian. It's a great. This is my uncle John and my antediluvian. Hello. Anyway, continue. Uh, so. Now, because everyone's on edge uh, and they're all ready, they all have their guns, um, they're pretty suspicious and nervous and afraid, uh, they decide to, they, a, a group of them, a posse, uh, come out and they start to follow this creature. And they move to the northwest part of the town, the edge of the town, near uh, an old brickyard. And um, with that, this guy, J.L. Pratt Jr., worked at or lived. And uh, he ended up, as this group is coming, he heard a loud, very scary noise uh, coming from the abandoned coal mine, which was right next to his property. So they get to the abandoned coal mine. They see these two uh, 
these two creatures. And I have, this is so awesome, a quote from the Des Moines Daily News from October 3rd, uh, 1903. So this is just uh, a couple days after uh, the, um, the incident. This is uh, the quote. Presently, the noise opened up again as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. The monster appeared, joined by a smaller version. In a brilliant light, they sailed away only to return in the morning where the men had gathered to rid the earth of them with their firepower heard far and wide. The reception they received would have sunk the Spanish fleet. But aside from unearthly noise and a peculiar odor, they did not seem to mind it but slowly descended the shaft of the old mine, never to be seen again. They had that encounter in the evening. They camp outside. It retreats into the mine. They're waiting in bigger numbers. The next morning, the creatures are, come out. They fire. The creatures go back in. And then they board it up. Uh. They, they, they close. the. They're that terrified of what they've seen. So... That is the, the, the Van Meter creature or visitor, as it's now called. And the question is, is that just a scary story that, you know, has been made up to scare kids? Or is there some truth to this, this whole thing? And it's, it's pretty interesting. So let's, let's take a, a moment here and let's describe uh, what this monster looks like. So they, one of the interesting things about all of the accounts is that the descriptions are very uniform. They all described the exact same thing. It had large bat-like wings. It left a terrible stench wherever it went. And even stranger, it fired beams of bright light from its forehead. It was described as being half human, half animal, with enormous smooth bat wings flying about. It left a powerful stench and scared the daylights out of them because it moved at speeds never seen before. Back to Chad Lewis, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, about, uh, I think it was seven years ago in 2013, uh, he got wind of the story and decided that it would be interesting to go and visit Van Meter to see what he can, what he could figure out. He uh, he has written, I think, 15 books on the paranormal. And he's an interesting guy, Riley. I think you'd like him because he is a skeptic. Okay. So he doesn't come at these stories uh, with the the belief that they're true. Uh, he's His background is in psychology. He, so he finds the stories themselves fascinating, not just necessarily because they're true, but also why people um, believe them. And the impact that they can have on a town. So Chad Lewis uh, came to Van Meter and he wanted to um, to see what he could find out. He actually, one of the things he did do is he camped out outside the, the old coal mine, which is still there, uh, to see if he could, you know, hear or see or smell anything, but uh, to no avail. Lewis found that old article, the one that I, I quoted from that Des Moines, um, what was it, the Des Moines Chronicle or? Des Moines, Des Moines. Des Moines, yeah. He, so he found that. And one of the things that he uh, thought was sort of fascinating about it, and in speaking with the elders of that community, one of the things that was made very apparent was that these weren't like the town drunks. Mm-hmm. These were some of the most respected men uh, in the community. In fact, 
it made them very uncomfortable to even attach their names to the story. Mm-hmm. They had nothing to gain from telling the story. And in a way were almost ashamed that this happened to them, which is kind of neat, right? They weren't looking to talk about it. Lends it credibility. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that he did is he ended up uh, connecting with a local librarian, Jolena Walker. Mm-hmm. Through her, he was able to gain access to some of the old town records and find out more about who those people were, the type of lives that they led. And again, that they, they were credible people. What was her name again? Jolena? Jolena Walker. I love that. And she was the librarian. That's the character Bonnie would play in the movie. And what I love is that he ended up writing a book about this called uh, The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. And she's actually uh, included as one of the authors of the book because she helped him a lot. He seems like a really cool guy and I, and she seems like a lot of fun too. So yeah, she one of the things that she said that um, had been repeated a lot over the years was that, and this is a, her quote, those guys wouldn't have wanted that publicity. They're business people. They were rich and they didn't need that type of attention. Do you know what I love about this story too? It has a Ray Bradbury kind of like small town America feel to it. Like something wicked this way comes or any of those, you know, Bradbury, you know, those, those Bradbury, everybody in the town, the small town, it kind of looks a bit Western and there's all these, you know, the banker, the, this, the, that, and then suddenly something mysterious happens. I love, like, I, I, I'm getting a very distinct atmosphere from this story of, of where we are and when we are. I like that. It made, it made me think too, a little bit of, I, I grew up on Stephen King and, you know, how Derry figures so prominently in so many of his stories or, you, you know. Yeah, and Castle Rock. Or Castle Rock and the that small town, just p- normal people going about their, their daily lives. And then all of a sudden something paranormal or supernatural occurs and rocks them to their core. Well, there's something just inherently not supernatural, but there's something in, inherent in small town life that just lends itself to that kind of narrative. You know, you, you, when you're in a small, and I grew up in a small town, I grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, which is full of stories and ghosts and things. And it's just something about small town life that it's, it's a conduit for that kind of narrative. I also find, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I find small towns can be kind of there's a creepiness to them not the towns themselves because I, I in the sense that you are on an island surrounded by the wilderness you don't have the th- the safety in numbers that we have in a city and you don't have that level of anonymity either you don't have that level of everything mm-hmm. you just you, you you don't vanish in a small town if you mm-hmm, do, then mm-hmm. you become like the recluse or that weird person that lives up the trail. You know what I mean? You just, yeah. you can't just disappear and blend into the background in a small town. You live there, people know. Yeah. And there's the isolation piece. And then there's also, and that's what, see, again, like this is a small town where reputation is everything. Mm-hmm. And why on earth would these guys who are not, you know, I, I could see if they're young 20 somethings. And they're looking to to play a prank or a joke that they would, you know, pull something like that off. But these guys are, if you look at their, and there's pictures of them too. These are like stern looking older guys, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is what they they claim to have seen. Um, 
Jolena Walker was asked if she thought it was real. And uh, this is what she said. It depends on your belief system. I know there is good and I know there is evil. She said, I believe there is a God. So I believe there is a demon. I'm saying it was evil. So she believes that it was, uh, uh, there was some supernatural stuff going on. Was it? Who knows? A strange creature, a known creature could have emerged from the mines, but there is unfortunately no proof that it did except for these these several accounts. However, on the flip side of all of this, there's also no proof that it was a hoax. Nothing. If it's a hoax, if that's a hoax, that's a very carefully engineered hoax. That's a, that's a, a, that's like trying to get tourism or something level hoax, right? Where the whole town's in on it. Right. There's two ways of looking at it. One was that the, there was someone pretending to be a creature, okay, and that they were legitimately fooling these people. If that's the case, then why weren't they? Why like why didn't weren't they uh, shot to death? Right? If especially if these people are claiming there's a lot of shooting going on in that story. There's a lot of gunfire. Right, right, right. And then what did they see in the morning when they came out of the mine shaft? You know how how did they survive? So that just doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Can I ask you the question, Dan? That's on everybody's lips right now. Has anybody ever opened the mine? The current owners of that piece of land are um, uh, John Youngman, and he's a farmer. It's a past, there's a pasture there now. It's, it's too unsafe. Uh, and he has said that he's always felt super uneasy around the, 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 where the mine opening was, um, but that it, he, he has never gone in. Mm-hmm. And it's too apparently unsafe to go in now uh, because it's collapsed or large portions of it have collapsed. Like think this is a mine that was in use in the 1800s with, and it was already abandoned and shut down in 1903. Yeah. So it would take a lot of money. Right. So the standards back then. Yeah. It yeah. would take a too, I th- I'm assuming just too much money yeah. to, to go down and investigate. Now that being said, uh, his son, uh, who also, I, I'm assuming, uh, grew up with this and know the knowledge of it. He thinks it's just all fun. He doesn't get the sense that there's anything you know supernatural about the site. But the dad is pretty adamant that um, that no, no, there's something weird about that place. Uh, yeah. So go, to going back to the hoax, the 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 only real then possibility is that it was either if it's not real that it was a conscious you know, almost like a, a pageant through the town where the whole town was involved in this play, as you sort of alluded to. It's too elaborate. That's too elaborate. Some good Christian person would be like, I'm not participating in this. It's not God's way. Right. So then the other possible explanation is that it was a psychological phenomenon that was occurring. And something that Lewis mentioned, and again, this is a quote, uh, is that it was an era when anything was possible. Science was starting to gain momentum. In fact, they had just discovered the mountain gorilla. So the beast in the jungle was real. Uh, he said people were open to the fact that anything could happen. You know, and again, these are very educated people. They know that there's strange things starting to be discovered. That's in the back of their mind. So it's possible that it's almost like a, a delusion that collectively they ended up believing together and building upon there was another uh, psychologist matthew sharps who's a professor of psychology at california state university fresno 
And he researches eyewitness memory and says one person's account can grow as it's passed on. And his quote is, um, the story becomes part of the memory. Obviously, these things aren't real, but people see the, really see them. So they behave towards them as though they are real. They are eyewitness memory errors, he said. People with tendencies towards depression, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or disassociation are more prone to see things like UFOs or creatures. And the encounters can sometimes you know, be harmful. That being said, these guys, once again, don't fit any of those categories. When we talked about uh, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, Mm-hmm. I remember one of the things that came uh, for me when you were telling that story was I wondering if PTSD from Barney's experience of World War II, Betty's experiences as a frontline, you know, social worker dealing with some horrible things, if perchance that had played into what they think they saw. But these guys do not fit that bill at all. Something I wanted to bring up too was it's, you said 1908, right? 1903. 1903, so it turned to the of that century. Yeah. And during that time, parapsychology and occult phenomena was a fad. It was, um, they were huge. Right. Ouija board parties, yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. So, the ectoplasm. Yeah, just all of that. It was, it was very in vogue. And I'm wondering, I don't know, maybe, do you, do you think maybe they wanted to put their town on the map? Well, that's the thing is that here, this is the interesting thing is they did, they let it die pretty fast, Riley. Right. It got that initial attention in the paper, but it's not like they had events commemorating it. It's not like they continued to tell their story. There was no books written about it. There was no, there was nothing that came out of it. It was kept alive because it was a story passed down through the ages of, do you remember when and when? And then eventually, you know, the people that would be telling it now would have been maybe born, what, 20, 30 years afterwards. Mm-hmm. It just, they heard their parents talking about it, perhaps, or their grandparents talking about it and just got passed down. But but by no means did they gain any notoriety from it. So the town kept kept it contained. It never made national news. It was never a, a big... Correct. Okay. So there's something you know, that kind of shoots my theory down. I don't know. And here's here's another interesting thing. You know, you were talking last week about rabbit holes. You sort of, you're reading about one thing, but then you want other questions pop up. The idea of an animal being able to shine bright lights is very common in the animal kingdom. Now, the only, the two types of species are like, like uh, sea life and, and insects that can do it. Mm-hmm. So if you think uh, like fireflies. So bioluminescence, we're talking bioluminescence. Yeah, exactly. So like in with, with sea creatures, you get sea cucumbers, mollusks, clams, squids, octopuses. Uh, they will shine these lights and often it's meant to foil predators or, atta- or attract their prey. So they'll shine these lights, especially in the deep sea, right? Mm-hmm. They'll shine that light. And then with, with insects, there's, you know, they're uh, fireflies, glow worms. Um, there's some interesting ones like click beetles and railroad worms. And they use it to often to attract mates, uh, but sometimes as well to deter predators. So 
is this was this a, a rare creature through evolution that just sort of was weeded out and what they saw was was some sort of perhaps strange bird or insect that maybe they exaggerated a little bit and made it sound bigger than it was who knows it's possible the science is possible could it have been a 1980s horror movie um scenario where they dug too deep you know, and dug something up they shouldn't have. Right. You know, and maybe maybe there was something, you know, buried. I, I mean, I don't personally believe that, but perhaps, I mean, I've, I've been proven wrong so often in my life. Perhaps they just dug something up that was just in stasis and boom, it came to life and shone its lights. It was Fraggle Rock. <laughs> funny. You know, I know you're trying to be funny, but yeah, it is. It's Fraggle Rock. I'm not trying to be funny. That was a great show, by the way. I love the girl with the the... The ponytails, the two twin ponytails, the pigtails. Red? What was the, the, there was the garbage heap, right? Yeah, she had an accent. She was like Russian or something. And she was good though, right? If I remember correctly. Wasn't she like an oracle or something? Bonnie, do you remember, you know what we're talking about? I do, I do. I'm just confirming that. I thought the garbage heap was an oracle. Yeah, I feel like they went to the garbage heap for, for help, right? Yes, it's a, it's a sentient compost heap. It's Marjorie the trash heap. And there were the doozers. And the doozers who who they the fraggles ate all of their brilliant, beautiful constructions. Dance your cares away. Looking for another day. Let the music play. Down in Fraggle Rock. Ugga jugga jugga down in Fraggle Rock. Wugga 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 down in Fraggle Rock. Boom boop. There you go. So you know they're bringing that back. I heard this, yes. What, Netflix or something? Yeah, let's hope it's better than them bringing back The Muppet Show because that was the worst thing ever. I didn't see it, but I heard it was not good. It was horrendous. Well, part of it too is that Jim Henson's gone and then some of those original, the people that we associate with Kermit and stuff like like the guy who does Kermit now, I'm sure he's a nice man, but he ain't no Kermit. He doesn't sound like Kermit. No. They should just retire Kermit. There, that's my point exactly, yeah. And same thing with Big Bird. Big Bird's annoying. He had that shit friend, the Snuffleupagus, right? Yeah. And he would see it, and then he would try to prove that he wasn't crazy, <laughs> and <laughs> Snuffleupagus would have would have like that was a shit friend. But 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 the interesting thing about that, and what I particularly love about Sesame Street, is they realized that that was a problem because what it taught children was this that adults won't always believe you. Yeah. So as soon as they realized that, they switched it so that people did see Snuffy and oh. they felt that that would help, you know, children who are, you know, say being abused or um, that kind of thing because you want to say, you know, you're having a traumatic whatever, some kind of abuse, but people won't believe you. Adults won't believe you. So they changed that as soon as they realized it was potentially a problem. So kudos to Sesame Street for dealing with that. I didn't know that because I'm from a generation where he couldn't see Snuffleupagus ever. Yeah, it, it came I think even after me like I I think that came like late 80s maybe early 90s where they changed that formula do you want to know something I am so fucking old that I remember when Sesame Street launched uh, and it launched we were all given the 45 rec recording of the theme in our classrooms oh wow so they had like a pu publicity kit that they gave out at all elementary schools. Oh, that's amazing. So I was given the 45 record of the theme song and then um, a little brochure about what the show was about. I, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite tapes as a kid growing up was the Christmas Eve on Sesame Street where Big Bird 
is trying to figure out how Santa is going to get down the chimney. And it was a TV special as well. I But I knew it not from the TV special, but from the tape. And I loved that. I loved Big Bird. I I, I really loved him. He felt so bad for the poor guy. And then like, and Grover and talking to, you know, kids interviewing real children about, you know, Santa. And I loved it. I still, and I still listen to it with my kids. It was after 1985 that Snuffy became uh, visible to adults. Ah, there we yeah. go. Yeah. I was in, I was out of university by then. So to go back to Van Meter, what do you think? I don't know. It's hard because um, I would have a more robust opinion. However, you've kind of quelched that by saying that these were the towns. Were, like the banker has nothing to gain. That's why I keep nothing. jumping on the tourism angle, but you've also kind of put paid on that because they never it never made national news it wasn't publicized and it's not a tourist like they don't have this is the site this is the site of the blah 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 so dan i do not know i call me stumped bonnie i am not sure either i i don't know what to think um as, as riley said why like they have nothing to gain and um you were talking earlier about you know, maybe it was an attract. You know, it could have been an attraction at the time because of Ouija boards and all that. I think Riley mentioned that. Well, then, like, why didn't they do the mine? Why did it just suddenly stop? It's 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 very strange. Well, it stopped when they boarded it up. They wanted it to go away. Exactly. So why didn't they, if they wanted to attract more attention and to have that it, tourism, so to speak, in industry going with that kind of thing at the time? Why didn't they just let it? continue they were genuinely from everything and i i i read a number of different accounts it wasn't just chad lewis or you know some of the but the one of the things that really came out is these people were genuinely terrified this creature didn't do it actually didn't do anything it's not like you know i i talked about the highgate vampire and things happened animals were being killed there was that girl who was grabbed in the middle of the night and there were some bad things happening this thing didn't even necessarily do anything bad but it's the sight and experience of interacting with it terrified these people enough that they've had to band together and shut down an old mine you know and and seal it so that they feel safe and live in their community again so I think it's it's certainly worthy of being considered one of the great unsolved mysteries, and and not just in America. I think just in general, it's 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 um it's a neat one that you know my big thing is if science can easily explain it, probably not worth talking about here. Science can't explain this one, not easily. You know what? I also love the fact that I have never heard the story. So I'm always excited when someone tells me a story that I've never heard. Next week, I'm going to talk about the ghost of Anne Boleyn. <laughs> have you ever heard of her? It's the ghost of Anne Boleyn! With her head tucked underneath her arm, she walks the bloody tower. You know what? I was actually, you, I don't laugh, but I was actually thinking of doing the Tower of London at one point because oh, there's some yeah. bad yeah, shit going down over there in London. We could do a season on the Tower of London. There's so many stories. Do you know every time I've been to London and I've wanted to go to the Tower, it's been under construction or being renovated? All right. So that's it for this week's episode riley yeah uh, i i loved it thank you very much for that and again thank you for telling me a story i didn't know that makes me happy oh that's that's i i strive to make you and bonnie happy with every single utterance coming out of my mouth well and that's a good goal to have all right everybody have a good night we'll see you soon bye 
with her head tucked underneath her arm, she walks the bloody tower. It's the ghost of Ben!